everyone, and a very warm welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast, looking under the bonnet of portfolios, looking at allocations, and how allocators are thinking about markets. Uh, it's me and Asset Allocator's very own David Thorpe today. And to kick off, we are taking a look at uh, what has been perhaps a surprisingly topical asset class in the last year or so. Um, we're looking at kind of what's going on with with bonds. Um, David, it, we've seen some interesting changes in the kind of portfolios that we we track um, on the bond front so far. So, what strikes you to, to kick off? Well, I mean, the most, <coughs> I suppose, the most uh, extravagant thing to have happened uh, over the course of twenty twenty two with fixed income allocations was in the in the uh, balanced portfolios that we cover. Um, Fixed income exposure as a whole rose by about five percent um, from the start of 2022 to the to the end, um, and within that, government bond allocation went up, which I suppose is not that surprising. But also at the other end of the of the credit curve, uh, high yield also um, increased. Uh, a little bit, although albeit in a balanced portfolio, it's sort of it's two point seven percent total. So maybe it's a bit at the margin, but but it did increase. The two least surprising bits, I suppose, around the high yield exposures are that it's very much kept to, to short duration and to US. The US is the bulk of of the high yield market, and short duration, I guess, makes sense because if you're doing if you're doing high yield, you're already taking plenty of credit risk. Do you really want to take duration risk on top of that? The most widely owned high yield bond fund among the allocators that we cover is Axis US Short Duration Fund, which is in five portfolios. At the start of 2022, the most popular in this segment was Bailey Gifford High Yield Bond, mm. but in common with many of the other mandates run by uh, that firm up in Edinburgh, there has been a steady stream of sell notices throughout 2022 on the um on the government bond side um maybe it's intuitive there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of use of passives in that part of the the market which i guess mm. just reflects the fact that um there's quite a lot less credit risk there so there's less incentive to pay an active fund manager um when all they can really do is, is manage the duration bit, not the not the credit bit. So the most widely owned government bond mandate is Vanguard's UK government bond index, uh, which appears in the portfolio of six of the allocators that we that we cover. So 2022 was a, a year when everyone came in thinking inflation and high growth were probably an issue. Nobody likes those for bonds. Came out of it thinking. Inflation is still an issue, but maybe now it's low growth or recession. The latter is slightly better for bonds. So that probably explains the, the move as we come into 2023. Maybe signs inflation has started to peak, but um, obviously still very high in nominal terms. And the recession risks are still very much in evidence. So that is on the bond side of the um, book. So I guess that's quite interesting. I suppose we're kind of seeing, you know, you, you do see plenty of kind of crowded trades. You think in previous years, 
those kind of quality and growth funds have been very popular and now perhaps it seems like i don't know kind of no-brainer to, to pile into um, government bonds when those yields are looking so interesting um but I, I suppose also you've got an interesting barbell approach there if you you note that high yields you've got short duration but then of course government bonds you are piling more into duration and passives they just tend to have higher duration than your kind of active funds anyway so i mean obviously as our as our um very informed listeners will know longer duration tends to offer better um potential risk against uh, inflation um uh, mm. against recession sorry mm. and therefore um i guess if you're owning government bonds as a kind of recession hedge longer duration probably makes makes a little bit of sense there yep. and then if you want your inflation hedge or if you just have clients who have an income need now then high high yield offers that and short duration reduces the credit risk there so as you say very much a, yeah. a barbell um approach and is there uh, i mean the, the question the answer is perhaps going to be not really but is there an obvious place um from which these this kind of increase is coming so you know what a what are DFMs and allocators kind of selling out of, perhaps taking profits on in order to kind of slightly ramp up their exposure to, to the likes of government bonds? Um, well, on the certainly on the equity side of the ledger, there hasn't been much movement at all. Mm. Um, uh, as as the as the year went on, it's been very much um, very much a case of selling out of uh, global. Um, equity funds, um, and indeed many of the uh, bigger allocators in the market have nothing allocated to, to global um, to global equity funds right now. But otherwise, but really, nothing much has happened on, on in terms of the overall exposure to equities. There has been quite a bit in terms of of movement underneath that bonus, but um, <clears throat> very much moving towards fixed income and maybe slightly reducing their equities um, mm. and to, to fund that. Yeah, yeah. Be I mean, I suppose what I kind of wondered is is whether you would see um, investors generally kind of perhaps see a bit of competition um, for allocations, you know, between things like alternatives and bonds. You know, for so long you've had the kind of the likes of the infrastructure trusts looking really interesting with their kind of 5% yields but now you know they've been they obviously take a hit when bond yields rise and then you know there is the that kind of linked competition from from bonds absolutely and certainly at the start of 2022 every every allocator that we spoke to on on this podcast and just in our in our sort of day-to-day -day interactions um couldn't get out there couldn't get their mentioning quickly enough of their infrastructure <laughs> exposure and why it was wonderful. Yes. And everybody speaking about it as if it was their, you know, unique idea. <laughs> and, then, hidden and then gem. Hidden exactly. Gem, and it, you, yeah. you line up like 20 guys and they, they all say, I've got this amazing thing, which is an infrastructure fund. And then they all mm. are on the same one. Um, but that, that's, um, <clears throat> as you say, there, there, there has been um, a little bit of uh, um, trimming back in in terms of that and we've also had um we've also had um a, a bit of a a focus uh on 
on on things like the music royalties funds, which again mm. maybe they weren't really a 2022 story, but they were a 2021 story and a 2020 story. Yeah. They've been they've been in the in the doghouse um, a little bit as well. Um, so it's it's moving away from those niche things back into bonds and maybe trimming equities a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, sp- I suppose it'll be interesting to see what happens this year in terms of you know do we could we potentially get yet another kind of uh, unexpected shock to bonds? Um, perhaps not, but we'll see. And also do, you know, if we do see a sort of bounce back, would allocators be tempted to sort of take some of those profits? Or, you know, if, you, if you've if you bought already on something like a 4% yield, are you just going to keep clipping those coupons? Um, so may, maybe that kind of changes their, their time horizons. Um, but moving on to... I mean, I've mentioned a few times kind of perhaps a cynical term, but the, the crowded trades. Um, I, I suppose kind of mixing two topical themes together, you've got bonds are interesting again. And of course, the, the demand for ESG is not going away, even if you know ESG equity funds have taken a bit of a battering in the last year. Um, when it comes to ESG bond funds, you know, are we... Are we getting some kind of obvious favourites there? You know, I, I imagine that because because the kind of um, the field is smaller, there are fewer options. Um, even so, with ESG bonds and with ESG equities, perhaps you are just going to get a few standout funds. Absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, and as I'm sure all of our listeners uh, will will know, because they've been pitched them. Um, <coughs> every man and his dog has been launching. ESG equity or multi-asset uh, strategies in recent years. In that bond space, there were a couple of more, I suppose, long-established operators, and those long-established operators have really, you know, they really do dominate in terms of uh, allocations. So you've got Rathbone's ethical bond run by... Um, I hope you won't make me call him a veteran, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, Bryn Jones, um, he's a veteran but young at heart, let's say. And Threadneedle UK uh, social bond, the manager there, whose name was actually Mr. Bond, Simon Bond. Yes. Um, yeah. he, left, uh, he left the business in 2022, but it doesn't seem to have changed very much in terms of demand for the mandate. There were actually, you know, a fund manager left and there was no sales uh, among the allocators that we cover of that of that uh, fund. So that's obviously an, um, a very positive thing from Threadneedle's point of view that they got the succession uh, right. Um, but those two funds certainly in, in the uh, ESG bond universe tend to tend to dominate. At the other end, on the ESG equity side, it was a fund that is relatively recently launched. Um, 91 Global Environment, mm. which is run by... Graham Baker, which um, just seemed to hoover up a lot of the uh, yeah. a lot of the demand that was out there in twenty twenty two. It's interesting, I suppose. Environment is <clears throat> having environment in the name indicates you know it's very focused on one thing. Clients, advisors, and DFMs know what they're know what they're getting, whereas funds that have maybe less precise terms in their title, mm. uh, arguably less precise terms such as sustainable or impact uh, or, well, there are many others. Um, yeah. 
you know, maybe clients don't know what that is or don't know that they're getting it precisely, but having environment in the name actually turns out to help quite a lot. So so that fund is actually now owned by, I think it's um, nine allocators that we cover, which is uh, a big, a big old chunk of the... Um, a big old chunk of the market, especially for a mandate that, that was only launched uh, a year or two ago. Mm, yeah, I was just looking. So 20, 2019 apparently launched, and um, yeah. it is it is mad, isn't it? It's already, maybe it's <coughs> one of those kind of quick runaway success stories, at least in terms of asset gathering. It's nearly I mean, 2 it, billion already. Wow. <laughs> and if it launched in 2019, then it, it probably it hit its three-year track record in 2022. And obviously that three-year track record sort of opens you know that opens the door yes lots of allocations yep. say can't do anything without the three years they get the three years but um they're um they're they're they've certainly done very well and to get as you say a, a couple of billion in um into an open-ended fund in in three three and a bit years is, yeah uh, is, is doing very well indeed yeah so i had another look at it it's um december 2019 it launched so it's only just kind of hit that, that wow. track record yeah. so perhaps we will see it kind of appear on some more more buy lists as uh, as the year progresses and um, mm-hmm. the industry wears back into into action um, it, it's also interesting that it's kind of performed relatively well that might be because of dollar exposure but um, well, dollar exposure helped everybody in 2022 but um, well the dollar started the year a little bit weaker yeah sterling started strongly but um, UK based assets just can't catch a break the FTSE almost <laughs> hit a record high and every time it almost hit a record <laughs> high it promptly went went back again which is very frustrating for journalists who want to write stories about FTSE hitting record highs um, but yeah whether dollar exposure will will help quite as much this year is uh, is uh, something for people a lot both a lot cleverer and a lot better paid than me. <laughs> yes, that is the uh, the potential kind of tailwinds to to watch out for now, isn't it? <laughs> um, perhaps one of those kind of big dividing lines that we'll see in terms of um, terms of performance as the year goes on. Um, just thinking again about perhaps kind of. Um, income and what's competing for space in those income portfolios if you know bonds are looking interesting again um you mentioned the uk markets um i suppose just one thing and we have discussed this to watch is just whether how we see the equity income mix kind of move around over time um uk still seems to hold its own has had that kind of big i suppose cyclical rush in the last year and has had exposure to you know energy which was one the only really happy stories of 2022. But it would just be interesting to see how that holds up and, you know, whether... If you look at lots of funds, for example, say Asian income funds, they actually often offer yields that compete with the uh, kind of domestic market. I mean, on our, our income uh, database, uh, exposure to, to UK equity funds has been... I mean, it's been pretty constant. It's been in this 16% range really throughout... 2022 um but obviously it's a big part of the overall equity um allocation of most of the the um the dfms we cover brooks mcdonald have 20 percent of their equity of, of their overall portfolio in uk equity funds and their income mandate and that's with 63 percent uh being in being in equities overall for example, Rathbones, fifty percent of their income portfolio is in equities. You know, thirteen percent of that is in is in UK funds. So <coughs> the demand seems to be very high 
among income investors, but, mm. but high but constant. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, we see feels like we see kind of quite a bit of crowding in that uh, that income space. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, uh, one of the one of the <laughs> well-trodden themes of recent years has been um, really that there's been a shake-up in terms of UK equity income funds. Um, mm. Some of the, uh, shall we say, star managers um, fell sharply from the sky uh, over <laughs> the past five years, and we don't, we don't sort of need to to mention those names. names yeah. No, uh, there's plenty of uh, awareness of of who they are. Uh, but you know, there are some there are some constants uh, in in terms of demand being high from from DFMs, and that would include, for example, um, Adrian Frost over at um, Artemis, um, and also. Uh, but one of the ones that I think has gained some traction in recent years is Man GLG UK equity. Uh, Henry Dixon's fund. Henry Dixon, yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And Henry is, you know, very much one of the uh, one of the last men standing, I guess, in terms of um, being a an evangelist for for value uh, mm. style of investing. So it's been a, a, a tough place being being a, a UK guy, a value guy and an income guy in recent years, but I'm I'm sure that's now starting to um to um to to maybe change a little bit. But but yeah, it, it does tend to crowd around um a relatively small number of UK equity income funds, which is ironic given that as I say, you know, two or three of the, the bigger names kind of um disappeared, but it didn't lead to a very substantially wider um um dispersion of um of those assets across lots of funds and maybe that's simply a function of um the equity income book being the one that people want to um want to want to stick with big names want to want to have a little bit of mm. predictability on i mean the overall largest uh, exposure is Threadneedle UK Equity Income, which I believe the manager of that uh, retired or announced his retirement in 2022. Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't seem to have prompted a massive um, sell off. Uh, looking at the database, I think there was only one uh, sale of it in 2022, and there was one buy that went um, alongside that. But that that portfolio, Threadneedle UK Equity Income. Um, that appears in nine of the portfolios that we cover. Then Artemis Income, which we mentioned, is in is in seven, and Even Load Income, which is another one that's kind of uh, crept up in recent years. Um, that's also on on seven, and that's um, that's Hugh Yarrow who runs the fund from um, the Cotswolds, I believe. Um, but those once once you get past those three, uh, you really uh, do do then notice quite a quite a sharp drop with not many of the others mm. being owned by more than one one or two uh, one or two allocators. Yeah, the the even load team. Don't know if they still do it, but they used to always make a thing of um, working from a barn, I believe. Right, uh, which is one one interesting uh, appeal when you, you're picking funds. Um, well, it's 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 very trendy. I mean, yeah. I've never I've never met Hugh Yarrow, but you know his uh, his photo indicates that he's quite a, quite a trendy, quite a dapper man. So I suppose <laughs> that fits in with the image, right? He's a very sensible man, from what I remember. Um, <laughs> I I suppose um, just one of the things to highlight there is I mean it's interesting. You you mentioned Henry Dixon's fund. Just had a look at the uh, the figures, and and perhaps unsurprisingly, given what you mentioned about style, it's kind of um, is looking. 
uh, relatively decent, say, on a on one-year basis and so on. Um, but what's interesting about that fund is it has a, um, a bit of exposure, um, not immaterial bit of exposure as well, to the likes of mid-caps. And I suppose one thing for us to watch this year is, um, you know, you always have an interesting divide among income funds. You have those handful that are kind of multi-cap, and then obviously lots of them lean into the kind of, you know, just focusing on the blue chips. And yes, they run that income concentration risk, but sometimes things look a bit steadier. So it'd be interesting to see if DFMs are trying to sort of like uh, span that, you know, market cap spectrum or whether they're just loading in on one kind of style. Or... I mean, there has been a view that uh, UK mid and small are, <coughs> are trading on a, on a double discount because, um, well, they were... They were discounted because of um, geopolitical uncertainty and then they were discounted because of um, weakness in in sterling. So you were kind mm. of buying the assets at, at twice the, the discount. Now, ster- sterling's come back a bit, but at the same time, allocators may be concerned about whether they want to whether they want to own the UK domestic economy in the in the current climate. In terms of what a, why income funds might might own it, there's an element, of course, of uh, dividend growth coming in from them and just capital appreciation, and mm. you know, as part of a total return strategy, I guess some some do do on those. There are some multi-cap um, income funds out there. Gresham House um, is a, a dedicated one. Might Premier might, and I think have yeah. have one as well. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, some of the funds, such as such as the one that Henry uh, Dixon runs, have big. Uh, Mid cap exposure, uh, even if it's it's sort of not in the not in the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be one to to watch. Um, was there anything else you wanted to highlight? I think the um, uh, the the overall um, equity allocations being being where they are is is quite interesting. As I mentioned earlier, it's it's uh, come down um, a little bit um, for for a number of uh, for a number of. Uh, houses, maybe the, the standout one was um, the standout one was was um, was Charles Stanley, which um, in the three months between October and December twenty twenty two, cut its equity exposure from fifty nine percent to forty six percent, which is oh. which is obviously uh, a significant uh, move, and uh, it actually only has four percent invested in UK equity funds. From that total, interestingly, that didn't fall when um, in line with the the rest of the allocation falling. Uh, Charles Stanley's maybe maybe an interesting or maybe it's not, but their chief market strategist is uh, John Redwood, who is um, uh, a member of uh, Parliament. Um, but yeah, they're they're probably the the biggest uh, drop, and the firm with the lowest um, equity exposure overall in their balanced portfolio is uh, P Sigma. At forty-one percent, which mm. I suppose, with the balanced portfolio, we think about it within the framework of sixty equities and forty bonds. Yes, which obviously isn't, you know, a, a, an iron an iron law or anything. But having forty in in equities in that context is quite quite a substantial underweight. But that's what's been happening in the um, in the data over the past uh, quarter or two. Yeah, yeah, and one final. Uh, thing to watch, I suppose, is just um, 
I mean, <laughs> it's very dangerous to, to use terms like year to date when we're a month into the year. But uh, of course, markets have had a bit of a <coughs> bit of a bounce back so far. Um, so I suppose maybe DFMs will now um, uh, have have the nice task of pondering whether they kind of. Um, you know, keep sort of taking some profits and equities and, and rebalancing to where they are or whether they allow it to just run a bit further? Well, I mean, they're probably in a position that is a little bit more like what they're what they're used to. If equities are doing okay, but you're a bit worried about recession, you yeah. can take your profits on equities and, and allocate more to, to bonds. And that was sort yeah. of a, a luxury that they, they maybe didn't have a have for, for most of the past uh, a decade or more. So certainly the potential for fixed income allocations to increase in the coming uh, months is is something that we will we will watch out for the other thing of course is the yields on fixed income i mean it, you know i think the high yield index yielding nine even the investment grade index mm. which which should be companies that have um reasonably strong credit ratings is is yielding um is yielding six and those are quite unprecedented levels of <laughs> levels of um, of yield, not just compared to recent years, but arguably compared to, to history. So there's probably potential for a lot of things to move in the fixed income space in the months ahead. And I know we'll be doing more of these uh, types of podcasts where we just look at the database and we can we can yeah. see what's what's happening. Yeah, lots lots to unpick. I think will be an interesting year. Um, well, I'm afraid that is all we have time for. Um, but David, thank you for, for taking time. Always good to to uh, have our chats, and thank you everyone for listening. <laughs>